Hey guys, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 30 of Couch in the Minds, Clearing the Mind One Couch Talk at a Time. On today's episode, I've got Zach Atkins, who's a motor journalist, and also volunteers his time as a speaker with the Black Dog Institute. And he'll be calling in conversation with me, revolving around the topic of foot on the brakes. Mate, thank you so much for taking up your Saturday morning. No, no worries. I'm really happy to be here. What would you usually be doing on a Saturday morning if you weren't uh, uh, spitting so-called bars about mental health? <laughs> uh, I'd probably be driving, mate. I'm, I'm always on the road and exploring new places. And it's, yeah, Sydney's a big place, so I get to enjoy all the amazing parts of, you know, the, um, the, the lovely beaches and the, uh, the beautiful mountains. And so I'm usually out driving, which is fun. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'd love to sort of, you know, go into that direction at some point because I know how, how much of an interest you have in cars and, you know, obviously, as I sort of mentioned before, you're a motor journalist and you wouldn't particularly go into that sort of field because it's quite a niche field unless you've got such a, a drive and passion for that sort of industry. Yeah, like, I mean, I've, I've loved cars since I was probably about two or three years old. So, I mean, like, it's been a, it's been a lifelong dream to get here. It's just amazing that I get to do what I get to do for, you know, for a job and I get paid to drive cars, which is, I think a lot of people would be quite jealous of that. Um, it's an amazing sort of job to have. That's yeah. unreal, man. And we all have these sort of dreams and aspirations to, to do something like, you know, it could be even growing up as a kid, you know, when, when, when your parents ask you, oh, what would you want to do when you're older? And, and, you know, maybe you had that conversation with them and said, oh, I'd love to do something with cars. But we never really think it's going to go anywhere. We just kind of assume it'll fizzle out because it's too hard. But putting all the building blocks in place to be able to actually get to that point, you know, you were a perfect example of that, man. Yeah, yeah, like that's it. Like I just worked my ass off basically. That's what I had to do. Like I, I, I could have gone down a, a more straightforward route of doing like, you know, business or engineering or something, but I, I just yeah. really wanted to, to write and talk about cars because that's, you know, that's where my passion was. So that's what I sort of, I aim to do from the, from the get go. Yeah. And taking it back a little bit, because this is sort of how I, I like to start most interviews with, with my guests, uh, your upbringing, man, what was that like for yourself? It was it was really good actually. Like my mum and dad are, are absolutely amazing, and they they really, um, you know, with me and my brother, they really looked after us and they really um, nurtured us and they tried to give us as much opportunity as possible, no matter what and no matter yeah. what we wanted to do. Yeah. So if we wanted to do something niche, like my brother's a music teacher, which is I guess quite niche. And yes, yes, I actually remember him, man. It, it was uh, Ben Ben Atkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that's Villa, right. that's that. That's right. So he um he used to teach at Villa, and he went to Villa, um and you know they really nurtured his journey through music, and they did the exact same for me when I was you know going into becoming a journalist because yeah not a lot of like when I was in year eleven and twelve like everyone was like oh I'm going to do business or I'm going to do engineering or I'm going to be a doctor and I was like oh I want to just write about cars <laughs> so <laughs> it was really really different really different way of thinking but yeah mum and dad have always been like you know you do you and um, we'll support you no matter what that's awesome and I think it's it's funny you say that about what I guess what people would want to do when they when they finish school because it's sort of like your general degrees 
So when you're going through school, it's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do business or I'll, um, I'll get back, I'll go into teaching or it's very sort of general, general term, you know, jobs as opposed to all those sort of niche fields or, or other things that you couldn't necessarily go into, but the, the school sort of decides to sort of wean away from it. Yeah, I think they, they, I don't know, I, I guess because they're, they're the more, yeah, the more common jobs and, and I mean, there will be a lot more jobs in those industries, um, but they're not going to push something that's super niche, like, like journalism is, is very niche, there's there's not that many jobs and especially for, for me as a motoring rider, there's probably only about 80 to 100 jobs in Australia for this industry, so it's very, very niche. Wow. Yeah. And okay, so you, you've you've always had this aspiration for for getting into some field with with cars. I, I know that you mentioned sort of highlight the fact that school as such didn't really sort of go into detail regarding that. When did you hit a point where you were like, you know what, um, whether or not you went to university or you saw a, a poster walking past some side street with some sort of advertisement on it? When did you know that you know maybe sport or sorry, more specifically? moto journalism would be the right fit for you that's a tricky question because i uh i mean i i always loved cars and i guess the thing that really got me pushing in that direction was when i got into journalism school like got into uni and i started doing my bachelor's of journalism i thought actually this might actually happen this this could be a reality for me if i can get the right contacts and I ended up interning during university at a massive magazine, um, Wheels Magazine. At the time, that was like my absolute dream. And I got that internship and I was like, wow, this is like, this could actually happen. You know, this is not just a, a dream. This is actually reality. So that was the sort of turning point for me because at uni, a lot of my lecturers and stuff, they really believed in me and they were like, you know what, you could actually you could do this. You've got the potential, you've got the knowledge. So that's sort of, that's, that was the, that was a real turning point. And having someone sort of backing you and being like, you know what, you know, although you can sort of stand in your own two feet already, but just to further back you and be like, you're, you're doing the right thing. And I think even whether or not you fail or succeed, just giving it a red hot crack and, and just taking a stab in the dark, it's, it's going to do you such a world of good because I know there's so much potential that lies within you. Sometimes just just that one little sentence from someone can can just alter you immensely. Yeah, so I mean, at school I didn't have that push from behind, but yeah. I once I got into uni, they were like, "Yeah, do it. Do what you really want to do. If you want to write about cars, we'll sort of make it work for you. We'll, you know, you could I did a lot of my assignments or my writing tasks on cars, and everyone else was doing it on fashion or or hard news reporting like um you know, like polit- um, politics or um, all that sort of stuff, like your Channel 9 News sort of stuff. But I sort of just went complete opposite. I was like, I'm just going to write about cars and they were cool with it, which was great. So you don't think that this, this interest came from like watching the Jeremy Clarkson era of Top Gear? Yeah, it definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> like that was one of the big things. I mean, I always yeah. thought, geez, these guys get to do, they get to drive around a track as fast as they want and, and do burnouts and and drifting and all that fun stuff for a living, and they get paid for it. Like, how does that work? And I was just super interested in that from from a very young age. Top Gear is like one of my favorite shows. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they the the thing with with motoring journalism is that sometimes you get to go on cool trips, like press trips, 
and everything's usually for and it's it's it, it can it's, it's pretty amazing you know like it's something that people would only dream of yeah no exactly right man it's just it's it's made of dreams for sure and it's it's something that as you said man you've got to work so hard to get to it and and i i I sort of use this as an example all the time where you see someone on YouTube like and they've built their channel up and they've got a heap of subscribers and you're envy of what they've been able to achieve and you sit there and go, like, like look look how good of a lifestyle they've got it. Like, you know, I've got to do A, B and C and work full time, yet they do all this sort of stuff. But it's all the behind the scenes work that have got them to where they are now that you just don't see. Yeah, so that's the thing with like Instagram and YouTube and all that sort of stuff is you don't see how much work actually goes into these things. Like spot on. Like, um, like we had a really big car of the year event at the start of the year, and that that took so much manpower to just get done, and it was actually really stressful and really full on, and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't just all fun and games and driving cars. You know, it, 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 there was a lot behind it. So you're right. You're absolutely right with that. Yeah. Now, one of the things, and, and this is sort of one of the reasons as to why, and again, I appreciate you, man, for reaching out to me and mm-hmm. um, being honest about sort of the things you're going through at the moment. You know, again, as of my podcast being very highly um, in the field of, of mental health, I guess you sort of spoke to me about, um, you know, your struggles with bipolar. Yeah. Now, for people that really don't know exactly what bipolar is, do you mind going into detail with regards to that and when you actually kind of had that click moment where it just hit you and, and um, yeah, you sort of diagnosed yourself or you went to seek professional help to see what was going on? Yeah, so with bipolar disorder, it can, it can very, diff- uh, very much differ between, between people, but it's basically like periods of extreme manic highs and very, very, and then periods of extreme depression that can last, both of those stages can last like up to three months if they're not diagnosed properly and they're not treated properly, which is really scary. Sorry, man. So what you're saying is that if you hold onto this for a month, your mood or the chemical imbalance in your brain is continually fluctuating. Yeah. Um, so it won't, it won't sort of change like one day you're super, super high up and then the next day you're super low. It's sort of more like, they're sustained periods of one or the other. So for me, I've had periods of like three to four weeks of being extremely manic and very high. And then I've had periods of like much longer depressive stages, which both are terrible. They're absolutely terrible and very, very scary if you don't know what's going on. Now, for me, when I started, well, not when I started, but when it first came to light, um, I had a psychotic episode uh, that was back in 2019. Basically, what that meant was that my brain just was so wired up. I was actually so stressed that I sort of just changed the chem- chemical imbalance in my brain, brain and I, um, I ended up getting very, very elevated and, and very out of control. And I actually had to be taken to the hospital because I was not in a fit state to do anything. It was I was very lost. I was delusional. I was very, yeah, it was just a, a really wild time. And so uh, my girlfriend at the time and her dad took me to hospital and they actually saved my life basically. So Wow. Like, In what way, man? In what way? Because we all sort of, and even people that, that don't necessarily say they struggle, we all struggle. But to actually highlight the fact that your girlfriend's father had saved your life that night, in what way do you mean that? So basically I was just sort of, 
I'd actually called the police because I was really worried that someone was going to hurt me. I had sort of these paranoid thoughts. And so basically I, I, I started walking the streets trying to look for help. And basically at the time, uh, my girlfriend woke up and I was gone and she was really concerned. And so they actually, I was up like, I was about almost two kilometers from the house, just walking the streets. Yeah. And they picked me up on the, off the side of the road and they, and they took me to the, the PA hospital. I had to be put into a, into a ward, like into a psychiatric ward for, uh, I think it was about two weeks. And at that time, I just, I didn't know who I was, where I was. I was just terrified. It was a really, really, really difficult point in my life where I was like, wow, this is, this is real and this is happening. But I didn't know how to react. From then on, when I had my second episode, so that was the first episode, when I had my second episode, I, the doctors sort of found out, they were like, okay, we think that we think that Zach has bipolar disorder. So I was officially diagnosed. That was a good thing in a way because I was so, I just didn't know what was going on. And, and that's the scariest part is not knowing what is wrong. I was just, I was actually just about to say, it was probably good the fact that although, you know, what you're experiencing is, is definitely, definitely not ideal at all. I think the fact of knowing what's actually going on, it probably gives you that better peace of mind. Absolutely. And like, and to this day now, I, I feel a lot more comfortable being able to be like, okay, well, if I've got bipolar, this is how I need to manage things. And, and it's just a bit more, instead of just not knowing what's going on at all, that's the scariest part, I reckon. And that's what a lot of people with, you know, um, undiagnosed mental health issues go through. They don't, they don't know what's going on. They're scared. They're vulnerable. It really is terrifying. So that's why I'm all for people getting help as soon as possible. And I recall when we were sort of having conversations about doing this this interview that when you were at school, and again, we were, we spoke about Villanova College and for those listening in, Villa's based in Queensland and Australia and, and I actually went to Villa as well. But you mentioned to me that throughout school, you didn't necessarily struggle so much with your mental health, but then all of a sudden it just clicked so with bipolar, does it have the power to just hit you? It hits you out of nowhere and, and then all of a sudden you sort of start to experience these uh, emotions and feelings? It can sort of, for me personally, it can come on very quickly. So yeah, you're right. It can hit quite hard. Like if once you sort of, once you're getting some of the symptoms, you sort of like, okay, this could be happening. And then, you know, you could, if, it's, if, it, if you don't seek treatment, you could end up in hospital within a week or two weeks. It's very quick, but for some people, it's like a, it just sits in the background. You know, it's very much like yeah, just like a background sort of in the back of your mind, and then it sneaks up on you. So it's different for everyone. So I can't really, I don't know it's hard to say, but for me, it does happen quickly. Of course, man, and I don't know if this is the right word to say, and I apologize if this is any um, way of disrespect at all. But with bipolar as such, is there is there a cure? Is there a way of overcoming it? There is, there is definitely a way of treating it, but there's no cure yet because to be honest, and I've done a lot of research on this in that the doctors actually don't know why it happens, which is really weird wow. <laughs> and kind of scary. I am pretty heavily medicated now. I'm on four different medications to keep me sort of baseline, which is, I guess that seems like a lot, but that's actually just how it is. But one of the drugs I take is called lithium. And now lithium is like a mineral in us, like a salt. They don't know why, but it actually helps people with bipolar. 
It's the same same basic chemical that's in car batteries. Jeez, what the? Yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty wild. But I mean, look, man, if it works, it works. Yeah, exactly. And Far out. An Australian guy in the 1930s or 40s, I think, um, actually found that lithium could work for people who have bipolar or it was called manic depression back then. So, you know, it, it yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but I mean, it's, they don't know how it works. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you sort of highlighted the fact that you're now taking medication. I know a lot of people are quite fearful of going to that step. We know whether yeah. or not you might be going through, you know, some form of depression or you're needing medication because you're suffering with your own mental health. Why is it so important to sometimes listen to how you're feeling and, and actually go to that point? Look, I, I was sort of one of those people too who wasn't overly keen on medication. I thought that I could just do it through therapy and I did a lot of therapy. Um, at, towards the end of school, I was seeing a psychologist every like, I think every two weeks because it was just getting really hard. Medication can really make your life better if it's in the right sort of the right dosages and, and if it's just right, it's perfect. Like you can just feel on top of the world and feel very happy and, and normal. But I can understand why people are, are scared about putting stuff into their body. But there's also those people who they use alcohol or, or, or drugs to help get them through. And that's, I can't really talk about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but medication is a good thing. It is a good thing, 100%. And I think getting help, most likely doctors will give you medication to help you because therapy can't do everything. And, and what you're saying, I don't think there's a uh, one-size-fits-all approach to this. No. You might try some form of medication and awesome, it works for you. You know, It doesn't make you feel a certain way. Or you might try something else, and it just—it's just not your right fit. You know, much similar to to see, much similar to seeing a psychologist, where you know it's—it's it's all about to be able to open up to someone. It, it is important to sort of build rapport with them, and if you're unable to do that, then it can become a little bit difficult, and you know, creates that roadblock. So I think just going in there, knowing that you know what, maybe this might not necessarily work for you, is probably the best way of approaching it. Yeah, it's a case-by-case basis and everyone's different. So yeah. that's why I can't sort of give like advice to other people because everyone's different, you know. It's just yeah. like for me, medication works, but it does have side effects. It can impact you later later in life. For some of the some of the drugs I'm taking, it could impact me like when I'm 50 or 60 years old. But for now, it's helping and that's the main thing. So Yeah. Now, mate, I'm going to go back to back to your career and your um, your passion, mate. You uh, not long ago moved over to Sydney for this job, and you started working for ChasingCars.com.au, and it's they uh, specifically do uh, motor journalism. Now, is that like sports cars, or is that just cars in general? It's all sorts of cars. So we do car reviews and car news on basically any new car that's sold in Australia. But we do look at other markets and like we, we concentrate on the American market and the European market. And yeah, we sometimes do sports cars. Like that's part of the fun part of the job. But we also do like Toyota RAV4s or Toyota Corollas or, you know, cars that people can actually afford. <laughs> so uh, I think our focus is, is on cars that Australians will buy. So like yep. lately we've been doing like stuff on the new Ford Ranger, the dual cab ute, heaps of different stuff. Like it's 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 a very busy job because we cover so much. 
And this might sound so like, because I'm very new to the car scene. For me, man, it's just like, as long as it gets me from A to B and, and, uh, there's, and there's Bluetooth speakers in the car, I'm, 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 I'm set like legit, man. I'm, I'm happy with this motor journalism. Like, how is it that the, how does the company actually make money out of it? Is it that they, uh, by advertising for certain companies, they, uh, they gain a percentage from that? So a lot of companies do that, but for, for the company I work for, we're actually owned by Budget Direct Insurance, which is actually based in Brisbane, which is crazy because I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, the offices are up there and down here. They actually own chasing cars. So we don't get any money from advertising or from car manufacturers paying us. We're fully independent, which is really unique in this industry because a lot of the time it's advertising based or it's yeah. based on car manufacturers paying for content that's something i'm really proud of is, is working for a company that's so independent and and not biased towards certain brands and you know we do a lot and a lot of news like even in the last week we did like 30 articles which is a lot so <laughs> oh so you mate you you would be you know if i go back to what i was saying before about the whole you know building up a youtube channel you guys would know exactly what that's all about yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we have sort of special, we have like specialists overseas that help us with our YouTube and it's really interesting. It's a fascinating sort of world to be in. And making this sort of move into the unknown into Sydney because you sort of said to me that you don't actually have any relatives that reside over there, I believe. You don't? I have, yeah, I have uh, one cousin, that's it. One. Okay, so you have one cousin. Apart from that, I don't yeah. think you knew anyone else. Yeah, I had no one. Yeah, so kind of coming from a, a state where you, you you had a group of mates and you were close to your family to, to going interstate and only having sort of one cousin to, to capture with every now and then and to sort of start off fresh and build. How hard is that, man? Because I think a lot of people are sort of fearful to take that step and, and you know, maybe go overseas and, and uh, t- seek an opportunity because they don't necessarily know or have that core base around them if they do sort of fall into a bit of a slump? So it was incredibly challenging for me to move away from home. I'm a homeboy. I love Brisbane and I love all my friends and family and everything. And I just, I was so comfortable there and happy. So to be thrown into into Sydney, which is a very, very busy and stressful place was a big challenge. And I really struggled and I still do. I've had a hospital visit since then. So that just shows how stressful it can be. Um, yeah, it's, it's not easy. And I think that, yeah, you're right. The thing is that a lot of people our age are comfortable where they are, like in Brisbane, and they can get a job. 100%. They'll stay there for as long as possible. But for me, for the opportunity, I had to move. Like I had to make that happen. And it was challenging and, and stressful, and I, and I missed home a lot. The best thing to do is just try and surround yourself, meet new people. Hopefully your work people or your work colleagues are nice enough to, to bring you on board and, and into that friendship group. Yeah. It, I found it very difficult and I still don't have a lot of friends down here. Something that you sort of just brought to my attention just then and I think it's probably worthwhile noting is what you said and I'll sort of quote what you just said before is I I had to make a hospital visit. Now, before when you're talking about when you're with your ex and the ex's father took you to hospital, I guess it was probably from further backing that you came to the realization that you needed to go to hospital. Now, not really having many people around you, 
was it harder to make that decision or were you sort of more in touch with with your mental state to be able to go you know what what I'm feeling right now is is not ideal and not normal I need to go to the next step so for my third hospital visit which was I think it was only about three months ago yeah I had nobody and I had to use the training that I had my mental health training and my relapse prevention training to say you know what this isn't right I'm not feeling okay I need to get help now and and I that was through talking to my family in Brisbane ringing them up and saying look I feel like shit like I, I need help and then them saying well you need to contact someone about it so I couldn't go see the GP because it was on a weekend my psychiatrist was in Brisbane so he was out of contact and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to call the mental health hotline, which I did, which was really hard to do. I was in a, in a bad way. And they said, bring yourself up to the hospital. And luckily, I was only just like the hospital's just up the road from where I live. Yeah. So I, I got a taxi and went up there and I put myself in a hospital. And I, and I just realized that's what you have to do. That's just, that's it. You know, there's no other, if I didn't do that, I would have felt worse. And I, and something potentially bad could have happened like i know you're saying that's it but you're i think you're more i guess more comfortable doing that versus for someone who's just like now nah, i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine or i'll sleep it off and the next and you know the next day it's 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 all going to be sunshine rainbows again i think we've all got to you know get to that point where you're like you know what whether or not i'm holding on to some thoughts that I know I really need, need to talk to someone about them or I need to perhaps get the medication that will help me get through this difficult patch. I think try to figure out what will work for you and take the next step. You yourself, you're just bowling it up and making it worse for yourself by not sort of going to the next step. That, that's why I encourage anyone who doesn't feel right and they know they don't feel right to just to pick up the phone and ring someone if they need to, ring, a, ring family or friends or ring professional help like... Like the New South Wales hotline down here is really good. There's also the same in Queensland. They have a mental health hotline. There's also like Lifeline and, and Beyond Blue and all those other places that they can get you help if you need help. You know, mental health is just as important as any other, any other you know, health condition that you might have. You know, if you broke your leg, you wouldn't just sit at home with a broken leg and not get it fixed. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said there. That's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, like you, you're not going to sit around at home on the couch with a broken leg. You're going to go to hospital and get it sorted. That's For me, that's what, if my brain isn't working correctly or how it should, hospital is sometimes a good place to go. And I know that that is scary yeah. for a lot of people because I was terrified when I had to go to hospital the first time. I know exactly what you're saying. You just got to sort of take action. You don't, You can't expect, it's like, it's like, and I know this is not exactly what we're talking about, but it's like, feeling sorry for yourself because you've been looking so long for a partner and um, you've done all the dating apps and you've, you've put yourself out there, but there's never been that click moment with someone. Yeah. And you, you, you can't be sitting at home being like, Oh, I'll, I'm just, I'll just wait and expect like a knock on the front door. Yeah. And like my perfect match is going to be, you know, presenting themselves. You've actually got to put yourself out there and do something about it. Much like, much like with the whole mental health scene where if you just don't fit, if you feel like somewhat out of place or, or it, it something's not going right. You sitting there and just praying and hoping that it will go away. It, it it won't, unfortunately. You've got to actually take the next step. 
That's right, and then, and we and going back to the whole thing about moving interstate and whatever, you're not going to make friends by just sitting in your unit. Spot on, man. Yeah, exactly. Go to the go to the pub and talk to some people, or or go to a, a friend like a social group or something. You know, like it won't happen if you just sit there. You've got to take action. Now that I sort of, and I think this actually ties up quite well, <laughs> um, you know, how I was so, sort of talking about the dating scene. I'm going to start talking about the love of your life, Rhonda. <laughs> yeah. your, your little orange machine. Now, yep. I asked you to, to send the model type because, again, I uh, am pretty cluey when it comes to cars, but it's a Ford Focus XR5 Turbo. Yep. You're going to have to translate to English for me. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... The Ronda is my uh, is my is a car I've had for a long time. I think about five years now. But uh, it's a it's basically a performance version of a regular Ford Focus. So if you just like if you know they they make them in several different variants. So like there's the base model, and then there's like the mid tier one, and then there's the XR5 Turbo, or they sometimes call it the ST, which is the top of the range, highest performing one. I guess. Yeah, I got it. I actually saw it advertised on the side of the road, yeah, about five years ago, and the color just, like, I was like, wow, that's an amazing color for a car. You know, I rang up the lady, and, and she said, you know, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's this much money, and I was like, okay, I've got this much money in my bank account, and I ended up spending all my money. Like, I had $50 left in my bank account. So, <laughs> like, you do stupid things with cars if you're, if you're really passionate about it, but... It's an amazing car. It's it's getting old now. It's 2008, but I, I really love it. I really love the car, and I and it's been on a lot of journeys with me. And it actually helped me get into the car scene, and get me into doing what I'm doing now for a job. You know, it, it, it that seems weird to say, but a car can do a lot for someone. You know, if you if that's what you're interested in, is it can do a lot. And you know what, man? It's it's not a weird thing at all because you see a lot of people like you know people that support teams. People go watch the rugby league or or the footy or you know tennis or um, you know they're into they're into cars whatever it may be man like it gives them an external focus of fo- like you know something else to focus on rather than sort of getting uh, too tongue tied with with all the bigger negative stuff that that life can offer for us. Yeah, and I mean for me, getting in that car and going for a drive is the best thing in the whole wide world for me like that is that that it makes me feel so good and that's just from like one there's a journey you get to go somewhere but two it's the feeling of the car and the, the acceleration and the and the you know the wind in your hair when the with the windows down that sort of thing is really special and going back to instagram sorry i saw a uh, i saw a little caption that you posted on one of your photos about your car and i'd love to sort of go into detail with regards to this man and, and, and where this sort of came from. Basically, you stated that this little orange machine has helped me in so many ways, saving me from crippling depression and helping me process things and helping me process change in my life. How is that so, man? I think going back to what I just said before is that it's it's about when I felt shit, I'd get in the car and I'd just drive and I'd just, and I'd just drive away my feelings because that was the only way I could really deal with it. And like that was, even when I was back in Brisbane and I had family and friends and a girlfriend and I had everyone, you know, there for me, I still felt alone and that's, that was really hard. So I was like, and I know it sort of doesn't make sense because I'm like, I'm going for a drive on my own, but at the same time, it's, it works for me and it works for my mental health to sort of, I guess it, 
just driving along the road, I can think about things and process things. And usually I have the music on, like on Spotify, and like it just feels so peaceful. And I just, like I'd go up the mountains from Brisbane, like up to Mount Nebo and Mount Glorious and stuff. I'd, I'd go up there sometimes once a week. That's what I did. I would just go for a drive and 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 even more fun if I if someone you know else wanted to come with me it'd be great because we can just chat you know and talking is talking about your problems is 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 so good I'm really one for stepping back from Instagram and stuff even though like I post a lot of my story like I post something and I put my phone away and I don't look at it for probably the next four or five hours and then you know, I just do it so the reason I do it is just to keep people updated with how I'm going but you know, for a lot of people, they live on there. And I, I, I just I can't do it, man. I cannot do it. I just have to step away. And I think we were the last generation to to really grow up, you know, doing things outside. Like, yeah. you know, going for a yep. walk or playing in the park or those simple things. Like, And I think generation's going to be a lot different. <laughs> this is quite funny. Um, and at the time, I was sort of scratching my head at this. But... At the moment, man, I'm still and for people listening in, I'm I'm actually working for Queensland Government a call centre, and you know, I, I help people with certain services. But there, I remember there was one guy who called through, and it was just like on a generic QGov line, and it was early in the morning, so I didn't really think much of it at the time when he what he was talking about. But as I sort of went away from the phone, I really started to think more and more about it. He he asked me, he said, I actually received a fine for being on my phone whilst I was driving. There needs to be something put in place. Like he was putting a complaint through. There needs to be something put in place to prevent from people instantly wanting to check their phone for their notifications whilst they're driving. And I was sort of laughing in the back of my mind, going, "Oh, you know, this this idiot's trying to to get off the, <laughs> trying to prevent himself from having to pay for the fine. And that's all he cares about." But realistically, it is a problem. Like it, it's a massive problem. Like I think addiction to the phone. It's it's never highlighted, and I don't recall a day, unless I'm camping, uh, unless I'm put in a situation where I don't have any reception or my phone's dead, where I wouldn't check my phone. Yeah, it's a really tricky one, and I guess depends on what you do for work too, because because you know being in the media business, like it's it's you're constantly on your phone because you got to post a story here and there, you got to do your YouTube, you got to do this and that, and it's just like it's becoming everyone has to be on there, but. You know, mental health and Instagram—that's a like a bad combo. <laughs> it's it's not good. And I've heard of a lot of people like deleting their Instagrams or their Facebooks and just not using them. And I guess that's good and bad. I just like being connected, and I think being in Sydney, I need to be connected with family and stuff. So that's why I have my Facebook and I have Instagram. But other than that, like, I just don't like that it's Instagram is like a front, basically to look at how perfect my life is and it's like well no one's life is perfect no no matter whether they're in europe for a holiday or you know it just yeah it's that's instagram <laughs> but it's all the glitz and glamour yeah that's being presented and uh everything else that's sort of shunned to one side is is what you don't see exactly and that's why i put up some sort of not confronting posts but i put up some interesting posts and be like Hey guys, I'm actually not okay at the moment because I I want to be real with people. I don't want to be like, oh, here's a fast car I drove over the weekend and like and all that fake stuff. I'd rather be open and honest and then sort of hide behind Instagram reels. So, yep, and I and I totally agree, man. I totally agree, and that's why I sort of do the stuff I do because I try to further yeah. that as much as you're doing as well, man. Yeah.
that's good. Look, there was one thing I saw you post as well is, is about volunteering as a speaker for Black Dog Institute. I know I sort of briefly outlined that in the introduction, but I didn't really go into detail with regards to what this uh, organization is and how specifically you, you decide to get involved. Would you mind sort of going into that for the listeners, Matt? Yeah, of course. So the Black Dog Institute, it's kind of a big name now. It's a research institute that really deals with everything mental health, but mainly depression and suicide prevention. So I sort of, when I came out of hospital most recently, I sort of had a bit of an epiphany moment and I was like, I really want to do something like to help others. So I, I sent them a message and I was like, look, I'm a young bloke. I've had some pretty bad experiences, but I really want to help others. And they said, sweet, let's set up a time. And I ended up doing a, was it last Friday or the Friday before I um, I did my training for it. I'm now accredited to, to speak as a volunteer. Congratulations. That's awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah, it's 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 a big step for me, you know, and I and I really want to just want to give back my experiences and help someone to not go through what I had to because as we talked about before, there's so much support out there. It's yeah. just about whether you actually reach out and the reaching out part is what I want people to do more of. So I'll be working in schools from grade 7 to grade 12. I'm trying to also work at at doing a talk back at Villa. So I'll fly back up to Brisbane and hopefully do a talk there because I think that's what we missed at Villa is not having someone to talk to us about mental health. We had like the drug and alcohol talk, but we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have that mental health stuff, which is like so important for young men. Oh, Zach, the amount of times that I've thought about that, well, we had we had uh, Paul Dillon yeah. who came in and, he's, and it was before before the time of schoolies where he'd talk about, yeah, you know, make sure you don't have this much to drink, be mindful of the drugs, blah, 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 as you were saying. But we'd never had anyone really sit down with us and, um, you know, give us the time to sort of build rapport with us and talk about mental health. And I think, I don't know, man, it's a bit of a hard one because I've thought, I've thought and thought and thought about this as well. And I don't know whether or not certain school systems are fearful of opening up the can of worms just purely because if I were to present and say something to a class of 500 boys, guarantee you that majority of them, if not all of them, have experienced that certain situation in a different limelight. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, yeah, it does open up a whole discussion thing, but I think that's what we need. And I think that... You know, doing these when I do my, you know, mental health talks very shortly. You know, it's it's not meant to make people uncomfortable, but it's to really bring home a point that there is support out there, because a lot of people, like kids, just will be on their phones and they'll or they'll just try and try and work around it somehow. Maybe not talk to their parents about it or just bottle it up, but just the small things. It doesn't have to be that all five hundred of them suddenly say, "Oh, I've got problems with my mental health," but it's. Because statistically, we know that like one in five, I'm pretty sure, have a mental health condition of some form. I really want to push for it and see what happens. It, it can only be good. And the scariest thing is, as you said, sort of like one in five Australians struggle. Yeah. Imagine like how many of those one in five actually admit that though. Yeah, I think this, there was some study that Black Dog did and it was like 60% of people did not yeah, but like I'm really stoked to be to be brought on by Black Dog and like I'm it's 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 sort of a bit of a like a a big thing for me, you know. It's been a a big step for me and like I've I've also written a book which I'm trying to get organized as well. <laughs> so yes, yes. 
I was actually I was actually just about to ask you about the book, the yeah. uh, a ballad for a bruised brain. Yeah, I started writing that when I first came out of hospital in March 2019. So that was just before my 21st birthday, and I I just thought I need to write all this down. Like being a writer, like it just I didn't want to lose it, and I just kept writing and I've written it right through until I've only just sort of finished it in the last couple of months. Um, I'm just sort of editing it, but trying to get it published is, is, is tricky, but you know, I, there's no real rush with it, but I'm really excited for people to read it because it's, it's confronting and it's open and it's, I think it's a fascinating story. You know, it's just like, how can this happen to a young bloke who, you know, had a good upbringing and had everything that he ever wanted? You know, that's the real story of it. But the thing is, man, like whenever you get, the, when you ever get to a point where you're able to publish it, regardless of of waiting for that to occur, you've got to be so proud of yourself for what you've managed to do. I'm sitting here, and some of the stuff that you're saying to me, I, I find it to be quite emotional because yeah. of of the fact that you've you hit that point of realization and you managed to find help and you're bettering yourself. It's a very powerful thing, man, and and what you're doing will reverberate positively on other people that are that are struggling as well no that's really nice of you to say yeah it's it's that's that's what i want to do you know i mean as much as i love my day job i want to do this stuff on the side to do with mental health and and there's there's a lot that can be a lot that can be done in that sector that's a lot of work that hasn't been done yet so i'm pretty pretty excited for it now i don't know if this is a uh if you just randomly chose this cover photo as the the photo of your book but I just wanted to see if there was meaning behind the photo that you chose because it was a photo of it's, it's. I mean, it's somewhat sort of blurry. I think that's the effect of it. You're sitting on this chair, and it seems as if you're sort of playing a guitar. I know that yeah. music was always a big thing for you growing up as well. But yeah. is there some sort of meaning behind that photo? I had like five or six different titles for the book, and I just thought that because I love piano and I love guitar and I think, I think of like those long, like ballad style songs. I'm a, I'm a massive Billy Joel and Elton John fan. So the goats, goats, yeah, I was just thinking about, okay, like a, what, you know, a ballad is like a, is like a personal song, you know, about usually someone's struggles or, or their, their life. I just got my camera out and I sat pretty much right here near the, near the window and I just got my guitar and, and I took, took a photo and I thought that actually looks really good. Cause it's sort of, being black and white too, it sort of it gives a lot of meaning about. I like playing a lot of like sad music. I don't know why. I just do. I think it looks pretty cool. It might not be the final cover. I just put it up there to sort of say, "Hey, I've done this." But I do love the guitar and I love the piano and I and I actually wrote a, a quite a lot of music when I was recovering from my um, my episodes and I found that very therapeutic. So as well as driving, I had time on the piano and guitar because I had like. Like, you know, after my, my second episode, when I was actually diagnosed with bipolar, I had like six months off work, just recovering. You know, I didn't work at all. And I had to fill in the day somehow. So I was like, oh, I'll just start playing music. And it was awesome. It was so good for me. And it, usually the lyrics are to do with like mental health and like coming out of a dark tunnel and, and seeing, seeing the, the bright things in life. And with your book, about for a Bruised Brain, is that available for, for the public? Not yet. That's it's a work in progress. So I, it needs to be like professionally edited. Even if I could publish a hundred copies, I'd be pretty happy and just give them to all my family and friends and whoever. But you know, 
I've tried um I've tried emailing all the big publishing houses in in Australia and it's it's pretty difficult to try and get their attention. So yeah, we'll wait and see. But yeah, it's it's coming. It's coming. Now in conclusion, I actually wanted to to run with you a few definitions or a few different words. Yeah. And I, I want to get two different perspectives, like the past version of yourself that was a bit more closed offish with mental health and with sort of acknowledging and highlighting some of the difficult moments that you were going through versus the present you where you know that you're suffering or you're more open to share. So I've got four different sort of, I mean, I wouldn't call them sentences, but four different sort of list of keywords. Yeah. And I want to get a bit of a past and present perspective of them if you don't mind okay sure yeah so i'll start off with the past so the first the first word i mean not word the first bit would be uh mental health mm-hmm. so i guess if if you could in, in these ones just in one word describe describe it so uh mental health from the past oh challenging uh, emotions oh uh, i'd say probably withdrawn professional help Oh, this is not one word, but it'd be like out of touch. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and the last one for the past would be when you first found out you were diagnosed with a mental illness. Relieved. So I'll go to present now. I'll use the first three ones because they, they're still relatable. So yeah. if you were to look at them now, so mental health. Amazing. It's good. It's a good thing. <laughs> Emotions. Positive. Professional help. Guiding. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And you can so you can even sense just just hearing your responses that you've already you've you've gone through this journey and, and you're you know you're heading in the right direction. You're you're more open about how you yourself are feeling and 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 it's it's obvious considering the fact that you're giving up a lot of your time to to uh, you know share and be a speaker to talk about uh, you know bipolar and, and and just create further awareness through that plus. Yeah you know, creating this, this uh, memoir that will be to be released soon and, and just be more in touch with your emotions. So, you know what, man, whatever, whatever you do in life, there's always going to be people that will t- say otherwise, but just be proud of yourself because it's it, it, what you've done right now or the process you've gone through, it's not an easy process. And, and, and you can look back at it and be like, I'm happy with where I'm at, but it's all the little bits and pieces that you've had to put together to be, to ultimately get you to where you are now it's awesome <laughs> thanks yeah you know, it's it that's the thing it's it's a lot of small things that come together to make it you know your your outlook on life a positive one absolutely and yeah for me, it's like it's reaching out to other people it's it's connecting with friends but it's also getting professional help and and doing all those sort of things it's like a i guess it's like a it's like a pizza the p- parts of the pizza you know the, <laughs> Yeah, no. So that that's it. It's a it's a whole circular thing. It it and a, and a lot of things are intertwined into it to make it work. And like, yeah, I think you just you have to let that do that for yourself. And it'll it'll be different between each each person. But it'll it, it's you know you got to make it work for you, and you'll make your own your own pizza. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. That is that. That's actually that's good. I like that. Mate, for people to reach out to you, yep. If if you're if you're happy for for them to do that, what would be the best way of, of going about that process? Probably through probably through Instagram. Yeah. So 
My Instagram's like uh, it's Zadkins one, and people can send me messages or whatever on there. I'm happy to talk if someone just wants to chat. I'm up for it. You know, I, I say often on my on my Insta that you know if anyone needs to reach out, just direct message me and and we can have a chat. So yeah, Zadkins one. Zach, mate, I, again, I really do appreciate you taking up your time. It's just these sort of conversations, especially in this day and age with the rise of social media and all these other external pressures, it's it they're so important to, to be had. So I, I really, really, really appreciate it, man. No worries. It was, a, it was a pleasure. It was awesome to talk. But guys, this has been Season 3, Episode 30 of Couch the Mind, Clearing the Mind, One Couch Talk at a Time. Again, on today's episode, I had Zat Atkins. He's a moto journo, and he gives up his time as a volunteer speaker with the Black Dog Institute, and he will also be a, uh, a well-known author soon, to be TBC, TBC with his book, yeah. which is A Ballad for a Bruised Brain. But if you guys enjoy this, Feel free to check out some content on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, and my website, www.couchandmind.com. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll speak to you guys soon.